<laughs> You're listening to Beyond the Bike with Big Lou. And now a few words from our advertisers. Welcome to Sysmontane Brewing Company. We are located at 1409 East Warner Suite 6, Santa Ana, California 92705. We are open on Monday through Thursday from 3 to 9, Friday and Saturday from 12 to 9, and Sunday from 12 to 6. We have 15 beers on tap with rotating seasonal options. We also have a cask night and taco Tuesday every Tuesday from 3 to 9. And we also feature vinyl Sundays where you can come and choose your own record and we play your music for you. We'll see you soon, Santa Ana. Cheers. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Bike. I'm by myself in the studio, but I have a very special guest for you guys tonight. First time ever on air over the phone interview and tonight, we have Lenny, the owner of Deer Hammer Whiskey, on the phone. Lenny. Yeah, what's up, dude? Pleasure I, to be here. Yeah, man. You know, I appreciate this last minute uh, uh, come through, you know what I mean? Like a quarterback in a football game, you know, where you got to bring in the reserve and, uh, you know, go for the uh, two-point conversion for the touchdown or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure thing, man. I was just, as it was, I was just hanging out in our barrel warehouse sampling stuff, so good timing on your part yeah yeah you know uh i i got your last care package um i don't know if you heard our last podcast with my buddy dan who was a sommelier and uh he liked it um you know for him it's a little bit smoky and but he, he liked it so you know he's the one that works at high time wine cellars and uh, really good guy very knowledgeable so um yeah he, man yeah yeah it sounds like he knows this stuff i i uh when i head out i'm looking forward to trying to track him down and uh talk to him about that and what they do out there because uh you know we're working on starting up distribution out in your area so yeah yeah all cool stuff so thanks for uh sipping on that yeah all right so let's let's get into it man how did it all start why the name why colorado um and then before we do that how about a little bit of introduction um where you're from how you got started in the in you know making whiskey? Yeah, man, that was uh, that, that was like a, a consolidated lot of questions with a, <laughs> a massive answer that's about to come. Um, yeah, man. Well, so uh, you know, I I I I didn't grow up in Colorado. That's a big thing out here uh, with regards to you know most folks not being from here. I grew up in Philadelphia. I lived out there into my early 20s and made my way to Colorado, mostly for snowboarding and a whole lot of things happened between then and now, 20 years later. Um, but, you know, like fast forward a bit and uh, yeah, you asked me a bunch of things. I'm probably going to forget a few, but, but to one of your early questions, you know, with regards to uh, deer hammer and whiskey, um, you know, you know, the whole thing came about from, uh, you know, a love of making things, you know, I was a graphic designer leading into that, and I, I sat behind a computer all the time and clicked the mouse, stared at the screen, and uh, I, I was in advertising. So, you know, I made I made interruptive advertisements that annoyed people for a living, <laughs> and, and that grew old. You know, it's that's nobody likes pop up ads or banner ads or whatever. Um, and, and on the side, I think as uh, you know, I went to art school, um, and and I kind of was missing a creative outlet in my career. And on the side, I started brewing beer somewhat obsessively and finding, I was always all about self-expression. You know, I know you guys ride a lot, something I like to do and be it, you know, riding a bike on trails or going kayaking down the river. Um, I, I think like 
physical format of expression is a really cool thing. Um, and creation. And, and I got, I, I might have mentioned, but I, I got very into brewing beer for a long stretch, uh, kind of in a uh, somewhat obsessive manner to the, <laughs> you know, to the extent where like, you know, just enjoying it and dissecting flavors and, you know, caring about that more than I cared about my, uh, you know, what, what paid the bills. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and ultimately that kind of, <laughs> you know, so a matter of ways I, I found, uh, folks who I respected greatly in the beer industry, um, talking about, you know, the beers they loved, but ultimately I'd, I occasionally hear them talk about the whiskeys they loved. And at that point, you know, I'd take a shot of Jameson or whatever, if somebody poured it, but I could have given a shit about whiskey. You don't care if I could, right? No, no, we're we're not okay. uh, we're not uh, listened to um, by the FCC, so we're not that big yet. <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah. So all in all, um, you know, when, when so folks that I respected, I had these amazing palates that were talking about the whiskeys they loved. I felt like I might have been missing out on something, and uh, and I don't like doing it. I don't like I don't like missing out. So uh, I, I kind of found myself on a mission to figure out whiskey. And, uh, you know, from there, it went from, like, enjoying the flavor of whiskey ultimately to being determined to figure out how it's made. And having a part in brewing beer is really uh, a big part of what making whiskey is all about. So, yeah, but that was kind of the spiral, uh, upwards or downwards, however you <laughs> figure it. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big jump from uh, from beer, you know, craft beer or, you know, home brewing to, to jumping into whiskey, right? Yeah, yeah, in a way. I mean, it's all about flavors, though, like be it in beer, wine, food, cigars, anything. I'm into everything. But but I think it's really cool to just identify flavors and enjoy and create experiences. And I think that's what it's all about. So, yeah, yeah, I I, I enjoy it. It's fun. Yeah. So uh, um, how many years did you experiment with whiskey before you you jumped in headfirst to, you know, creating Deer Hammer and and also – uh, why the name Deer Hammer? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, good question. Well, I'll, I'll hit the name thing real quick. Um, I, I may be working backwards, but at, at some point in all of this, my wife Amy and I decided, like, uh, you know, we were we were both living on the front range of Colorado, you know, more or less in Denver. We lived in Golden, just outside of Denver, right right up the hill from Coors Brewery. You might have heard of it. Um, and uh, you know, at that point, I, I, I was kind of obsessed with the whiskey side of production decided we wanted to make a go of it. Uh, it, it initially like on a really small, you know, scaled down level. Um, but we also were super passionate about, you know, just being outside, being in the mountains and particularly, you know, whitewater kayaking. Like we both love boating and, uh, <laughs> we don't get out as much as we used to. Uh, yeah, we were both pretty good. My wife is a badass boater and, uh, where we live in Open Distillery is a really cool place. We're right on the Arkansas River, and we've got just like tremendous stretches of river with like just amazing rapids. And uh, we wanted to be here, and I wanted to do something I love. I was tired of sitting behind the computer. So, to the point of where the name Deer Hammer came from, um, we 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 came to move to this town, Buena Vista, which uh, you'll probably catch that that doesn't sound quite right. Buena Vista. It should be Buena Vista uh, by all rights, but uh, a German lady named the town Buena Vista. Buena, not not Buena, huh? Buena. Yeah, Buena, or or Buni if you want to shorten it. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, if you want to be totally correct about it, I guess like BV is the easy out. That's what everybody calls it. But uh, 
Yeah, so this name, <laughs> the lady who named the town, uh, her, her last name was Deerhammer. And we kind of came across that just Googling up stuff, trying to find the history of the town and really wanting to honor this town that, you know, we're so, we, we were so enamored with and we we're about to move to and, you know, pour everything we had into our business in the town and become a part of the community. So, I mean, my last name's Eckstein and, you know, that's not going to sell a whole lot of whiskey. And, <laughs> you know, there was something, yeah, something kind of, it just sound, seemed right. And we got to everywhere. So it, it just felt right. Yeah, um, you know when you post the stuff on on the Insta, yeah, I mean there's some there's some deers out there uh, eating uh, what is that like the uh, the spoils or whatever. I mean, what, I don't know what you call it, like the the lip. Yeah, yeah. It's it, well, it, it's it's usually yeah our spent mash, and it's the same thing mash, that a brewery yeah. would turn out. You know, because we make a single malt whiskey. It's all malt barley. It's pretty much just making a beer minus boiling with hops, and uh, the we ultimately separate the liquid from the grain and shovel out the great the leftover grain so yeah the deer go nuts over it and uh the other day they were actually fighting like there was one deer <laughs> that like reared up on the others it was pretty hilarious uh, yeah yeah they're there yeah i was kind of checking up uh like the distance between here and there and i mean it, it's a it's a good mission man you know to to, to get there you know but uh, you're you're uh, you're out you're you're quite out there man you know uh, compared to like uh, well-known towns in Colorado, you know, like, um, whatever. I don't even know, man. <laughs> yeah. Like well, golden yeah, yeah, Colorado yeah, yeah, or something, right. you know? Um, I mean, you're, you're, uh, what is that? South of Leadville, correct? Yeah, that's right. That, and that's a good reference point. Cause I think a lot of people, uh, especially on the bike side, but a lot of people know of Leadville and yep. it's really only about 30 minutes South of us. It's not too far. I go up there a bunch of some couple good bars and restaurants. I like to hit up and, you know, especially this time of year, you know, our trails are, they're kind of rideable year round, but it's been a really snowy winter. So uh, I'll head up to Leadville with the fat bike and do some riding. So yeah, it, honestly, like we're dead in the middle of the state. Yeah, so we're not too far from anything. Yeah, well, you're kind of far from where we're at out here in SoCal, but uh... <laughs> I don't know, man. Fourteen hours isn't too bad. What what is it like? Fourteen hours, right? Yeah, fourteen or so if you hustle. And like, yeah. The way I see it. It's a pretty drive as soon as I pull out of my driveway to, like, your toes. Yeah. So uh, it's something we like to do a lot. Like, I, I've only gotten out once this year. Uh, it was just for a quick trip. I was hoping to get out for, uh, you know, like I, I kind of touched on lately. We're, we're getting ready to start distributing in Southern California. That's exciting. Um, you know, liquor laws are weird. Everybody thinks you can order online, but you kind of can't. It, it's uh, mostly illegal. Sometimes you can make it happen, but all in all, we don't have a way to get our product out of Colorado yet. Interesting. So, uh, so you, you, yeah, you, you, yeah. You, so you, got, just, you got to get Smokey and the Bandit, man. <laughs> I know. I know. We could do that. But, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the laws don't love that. The government doesn't like it. <laughs> they, want, they, um, they, they want their share. They want their cut. You know, uh, kind of speaking of that, um, I, I was uh, involved in a little bit of beer trading uh, last year. And uh, there was one, a couple of breweries in New York that I really liked. So um, I reached out to one of the breweries. I'm like, "Well, how can I buy your beer?" And like, nah, we don't, we can't, we can't sell it to you. You have to go to a beer trader." So I got a hold of a couple guys, and I would, I would send them stuff that they like from here on the West Coast. And I, I'm a big fan of the Hazy IPA, or like uh, um, Jay State likes to say, lazy. the Lazy IPA. But they're good, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a low IBU, which I like. You know, and uh, Uncle B likes uh, real hoppy stuff, like a hundred or whatever, and. But I like a twenty-five yeah. to you know twenty-five to to seventy IBU, but you know it still has like 
at least six nine percent alcohol so you know you're still gonna get a little buzz you know what i mean and there's just so many flavors exactly. in there too so uh yeah you know we we figured out a way to you know i would go to high time wine cellars and talk to dan and, and he would ship it out for me and that's the only way i could ship out the beer i couldn't go to a fedex or ups because it's alcohol so you have to go to like a designated place that can ship it out to you or ship it out for you yeah yeah i think i, I could be mistaken because I, I i know the the spirit industry pretty well i'm pretty sure wine is like the easiest to ship around and beer is fairly easy uh but spirits are just massively regulated and uh that, it's tricky but yeah yeah we're gonna make it happen and and you know like i had mentioned to you a while back just sent you a message and said i was gonna shoot for coming out in january yeah. i uh I had this grand plan, and uh, my wife somehow gave me a thumbs up on it to uh, take like a solo road. She was like, "Yeah, you can go away for three weeks, solo road trip, go surf, mountain bike, drive down to Baja." Heck yeah! And uh, I was all chewed up, and then it kind of just got jammed up. So uh, yeah, I am coming out, you know, later in May, and I'm looking forward to the Ensenada Bike Fest. Heck yeah! I'm, but, I'm uh, excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't wait. I mean, I, I love riding in my backyard. I ride right from my house, but. It's so fun to check out new areas, be it like, I love going to Southern Arizona in the winter and out your way. Um, you know, I haven't ridden out there that much. I, I was out uh, the winter before this. Actually, I, the only ride I did was um, up in Tribuco Canyon. Um, the one, uh, Bruce, the one you have that Lucian Bruce thing. Oh, up. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's that... the only ride I did. It, ah. it was great. I had a good time. Heck yeah. Um, yeah. Our Lucian Bruce is coming up April 20th, so. But I, you know, you won't make it to that one. But uh, you know, I'm excited for you to come down to Ensenada for the Ensenada Bike Fest. That's gonna be a good time. Yeah, yeah. Is there uh, is there any like uh, beer or anything pouring component of that? Because I was thinking maybe I'd bring down a grip of whiskey and pour it for folks. But I don't know if uh, I don't know. <laughs> I guess it's not illegal, right? <laughs> it's not illegal if you get caught. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, i'm down to do it yeah uh, that's good <laughs> yeah uh yeah you yeah. know we're, we're, uh, for the beer fest we are going to have um or for the bike fest we're going to have um local local crab breweries actually this weekend we're heading down there to do uh to to do our first official pre-ride for the uh, california enduro series so everybody's gonna mm. you know, we have about 12 15 people coming down from socal we're gonna caravan down there tomorrow at five o'clock in san diego we're gonna go to. Uh, we're gonna get something to eat, some tacos. Get people, you know, eating some tacos, and then we're gonna go to Awamala, which is one of our event sponsors for the for the bicycle fest. Do a little bit of a video shoot there, and uh, for a promo video we're, we're putting together, and then we're gonna go to a horsepower ranch, and then get some little footage there as well. And then tomorrow or Saturday morning, we're gonna go from eight to, to two o'clock and hit up all the stages, do a little bit of sessioning. People shuttle people to the top, to the bottom, have a good time. And then uh, go back to the ranch, relax a little bit, and then uh, we're gonna go to the Ensenada Beer Fest, which happens every year. It's about 120 breweries, pretty much all, all over Mexico. There's some from the states. Uh, there's like five stages going on, craft, you know, like beer everywhere. It's it's insane, you know. And it's from like 12 o'clock in the afternoon to like midnight, all oh, day. Nice. Good time. Fantastic. Yeah. I was there last year and. It blew me away. There was like no fights. Everybody had a good time. There, people know that you're there to have a good time. You're not there to to get belligerent, start a fight or nothing. I mean, you know, if there was police, I didn't see them. They, they could have been undercover. But it was such a such a cool environment, cool vibe. I mean, everybody was having a good time. We were like at the main stage hanging out, and uh, you know, it's about just hanging out and and uh, you know, 
meeting new people. We, I mean, we got to meet some new people from Mexicali and, you know, just create more friendships down there. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, that is awesome. And that's, you know, like, in, a, in a way to connect that back to whiskey and my own mindset, I think, like, that that's the whole thing, though. It's all about, like, the rich experience and whether it comes from, like, you know, I, I, I make whiskey to try to create experiences, people brew beer, people ride bikes. Like, when, when folks are... When people do things that is uh, that is in the manner that they're uh, you know seeking those experiences, you know, just good things ensue, and it's it's fun, man. I, I, that's when the great things happen. So, that's, <laughs> yeah, that sounds cool. Heck yeah! So uh, let's get into the process of so yeah, the process of making a whiskey, and how do you pick what kind of what kind of whiskey or or bourbon or or what you're gonna create? You know, like. Obviously, you have to see like what the trends are, or just pretty much you do what you want to do, and you create yeah. what you want to create. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of yes to everything you just said. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I guess to start out, like I, I think what's important to know is like what whiskey is, and uh, in a sense, it kind of varies uh, country to country, in the manner that you know every country's government defines standards that comprise what whiskey is but more or less globally whiskey is a distilled spirit that's created from a grain okay um there's some there's one weird exception to that, that i know of in india where they're distilling molasses and calling it whiskey uh which by every other global definition would be rum right. but more or less it would be grain and grain you know there's tons of grains out there um you know regionally the grains that they use um you know, they could bring grain from anywhere in the world, but it, it typically is based on the heritage of that country and what, what grains grew well. Okay. So you'll see in Scotland and Ireland a lot of barley-based whiskeys or malt barley-based whiskeys. And in our country, when this country was first settled, uh, the first grain that grew really well for them that allowed for fermentation and ultimately distillation was rye, which made rye whiskey. And that, that was the first whiskey made in this country, but bourbon ultimately it's a cold uh, for some really, you know, kind of a long story and some various reasons. Uh, but bourbon is, uh, is the name for a corn-based whiskey that's at least 51% corn. Mm -hmm. um, among some other regulations, it's got to be at least 51% corn. Uh, it's got to be made in the U.S. No other country can make bourbon and call it bourbon anyway. And it's got to be aged in new charred American oak barrels. And uh, let's see, distilled under 160 proof, enter the barrel at no less than 100, or rather no more than 130 proof, um, no mandatory age statement. So there's a lot of factors, like legal definitions of these these things. Um, but kind of to the, just your question, like the process and what, you know, would lead us to make the whiskeys we make. Um, you know, I mentioned I got into this from kind of a more of a beer tradition and mm -hmm. in beer craft beer and craft beer for sure was all about innovation in light of what was happening what 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 the, the landscape was in this country uh, mostly as a result of post prohibition you know uh, after prohibition a lot of the styles you know really just were during prohibition a lot of the styles got wiped out and what we were left with were just boring ass beers that you know they're all right if you're mowing your lawn, but it was just, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, like a lack of character and a lack of creativity and, you know, in-step craft brewing and smaller batch brewing. And there was the opportunity to, 
bring back old styles or innovate into new styles, like, you know, uh, a hazy IPA or, you know, something, <laughs> either something awesome or something with glitter in it. Who knows? But, uh, <laughs> which, which yeah. I, I, I blows my mind that you can have like glitter in your beer, man. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I, I'm not, I'm not interested, but, but you know, I, I'm, I'm down with innovation. Right. And with regards to whiskey, um, the landscape's different for sure. The, you know, people have been making amazing whiskey for a really, really long time. And, uh, the big distilleries in this country and around the world, um, well, they might, for some reasons, choose to make some pretty bunk whiskey. They all make amazing whiskey also. Mm-hmm. You know, like the big distillers in this country, Four Roses, Buffalo Trace, um, MGP, you know, they all, they make great stuff. So the room for a small distillery isn't just to make good whiskey, in my opinion, it's to make innovative whiskey. And that's uh, with regards to flavor profile and grain selection and, you know, blending old techniques with new. And that's what we're all about. And, uh, you know, you asked me how long I had been distilling prior to uh, what we do now, which mm-hmm. is a legal operation, and that might not have been. Um, some moonshine uh, you know, from the Appalachians. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you, know, you know, I had been brewing beer for a solid, like, uh, like 10 to 15 years, and then started messing around with uh, brewing beer where I would split a 10-gallon batch into two five-gallon ferments. Um, and one would be well, one would be boiled with hops and one would be unhopped. And now I take that five gallons that was unhopped and distill it. And, and basically the principle of distillation is simple enough. All you're doing is uh, you know, a sem- a building a vessel or buying a vessel. Um, in my case, it's simply taking a 15-gallon keg and opening the top, pulling the spear out and clamping a two inch column, uh, maybe a couple feet long, which turned down into a, a water cooled condenser. So you're, you're boiling more or less, you're boiling beer. The vapor, uh, that contains the ethanol comes off at a lower boiling temperature than water. So that allows for the separation. And as it kind of comes up the column or, or the, you know, the neck of the still and into the condenser, the condenser cools it back into liquid and then you're collecting the ethanol that was originally in that beer, and it's it's really the spirit of the beer, all the all the rich flavors, all the you know cool complexities. And interesting, people will say, you know, that stuff's strong, and it is. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's it's strong, but once you get used to it, there's so much complexity. And um, yeah, yeah, so I started doing that. And I, I was experimenting with all kinds of beer recipes, like a pale ale, an IPA, but it would essentially be without the hops, uh, mm-hmm. a porter without the hops, um, a saison without the hops. And uh, I had one batch in particular that it, it was more or less a stout recipe, but when it was coming off the still, um, still the early runnings of still you cast aside and that's very well known. And people always joke, like kind of mess around like, oh, that'll, that'll make you go blind. And uh, <laughs> I don't think that's really true. Right. But, uh, I haven't gone blind. <laughs> but, um, but but it doesn't taste good, so you don't collect that part. And there is some gnarly stuff in there. You know, the initial volatiles that come off, uh, there's methanol, which can absolutely kill you in high concentrations. Right. And acetone and ketones and just gnarly stuff. But once you get past that, you get into what's whiskey, unaged whiskey. And there's flavors there. And this one batch in particular that I distilled from a stout just had such tremendous flavor of like chocolate brownies and some like uh, almost like girl stout cookie thin mints and 
and grass and, you know, like maltiness. And, uh, you know, that was prior to ever considering opening a distillery. And that was also the defining moment where I was like, God damn, I want to do this. I'm doing this no matter what. <laughs> and, uh, come hell or high water, right? Became, <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's when I, I stopped, you know, I ultimately was like, let's do this legally. And, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a word about the legal side of it. This is, uh, the only place that it's truly legal to distill at home is in New Zealand. Um, there's really no other country that allows it in Europe. It's done pretty prevalently and, no one seems to pay attention to it, but uh, in this country, the only way it's legal to distill at home is for fuel, and that requires uh, getting a fuel license to to make ethanol. Interesting. Um, but I don't know. I break the law all the time. I drive too fast. I uh, I, I jaywalk. I, you know, <laughs> so I'm not going to not make something that intrigues me. And and I would encourage everybody to do it. It's awesome. And if it ever became legal, I think we'd see some tremendous innovation from people who just have passion to make cool things. And, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if, if, if any uh, presidential candidate runs on that platform, I'm voting for him for sure. <laughs> right on. Well, Hey, if you guys are listening, uh, just tuning in, we have Lenny Eckstein, the owner of Deer Hammer Whiskey from Boone, Boone. Uh, how do you pronounce that? You, you're close. Buena Vista. Buena, Buena Vista, Colorado. And, uh, yeah, we're talking story, getting to know, uh, the ins and outs of, why Lenny uh, got into whiskey and this passion established in uh, 2010 legally, right, Lenny? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Established in 2010. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a big blur, but yeah, that's right. That's amazing, man. I mean, it it, it you know from turning something into a, into a, you know you know you have, you have your hobby into passion into actual business. I mean, that takes a lot of guts, man. You know because you just now you you have all your chips on the table. You're like, hey, we're all in. You know, like. If it fails, then you know at least we give it a try. But you know you have family and you have a lot of investment into the into the business, so you have to obviously work hard and work long hours and, and work tirelessly to to make your business successful. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And you know I didn't have a business background getting into it, and uh, you know you know with regards to like having guts, I mean I think you know I wouldn't say that's not true, but I would also say it was mostly not knowing any better, and I'm glad I didn't. You know, because if I went to business, I probably would have like had a way more sound business plan that, you know, showed me how insane this business is. But <laughs> but I love it. And I think like, you know, if you have a passion for something and uh, it, it, if it's something that you have no choice but to do because, you know, that that flame isn't going to stop driving you, then it happens. And uh I think we we got lucky in a lot of ways. The timing was really nice, you know. Craft distilling was just starting to pick up. It was uh, it was a time when folks were pretty accepting of young whiskey, for that matter. Where you know a year old in a barrel, and they were like, "Hell yeah, I'll try that. That sounds great." And I was proud that we were making it one year old. But at this point, you know, we're really we're in it for the long haul. We're trying to lay down a ton of barrels. I'm actually talking in our barrel warehouse now, and. Uh, it's fun sitting around a few hundred barrels and that's small by a lot of standards. But for us, yeah, you know, you know, I've got a family and I've got a lot of other things that I like to do, but this takes some more time, and I, but I love it. It's cool. Heck yeah. So, uh, what's your lineup? So you have a straight bourbon, you oh, yeah. have, what do you got? What's your lineup right now? Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I think, uh, 
I, I sent you a couple samples I have to try, but, uh, you know, with regards to that first disc that I ever made and what, what spawned the company, what spawned Deerhammer, um, our first and really our, our cornerstone whiskey is an American single malt that came from that original homebrew recipe, which we've since tweaked a little bit. So an American single malt means it's 100% malt barley. It's made by one distillery. Um, and by our standards, we, we age in all charred new oak. Um, that stuff, it's all aged minimum two years, you know, usually closer to three at this point. And we're always trying to get older and older. We've got a few older barrels kicking around. Uh, so that's that's our mainstay. We sell the most of that. Um, second in line, yeah, we started making a bourbon a few years later. And, uh, you know, I kind of gave you a rundown on what a bourbon's all about. But mm-hmm. we make, um, you know, a ten- an intentionally, um, you know, uncharacteristic bourbon to what you would taste out of Kentucky. Uh, and great stuff comes out of Kentucky, but they got that corner. They, you know, they nailed it. It's like, uh, you know, if it was a bike, why would you, why would you duplicate like a, a Santa Cruz high tower? They already did it. You got to do your own thing. Right. Otherwise, people look at it like, well, that's a, that's a high tower. So, you know, with us for bourbon, um, we go way lower in corn. So it's a four grain bourbon. Uh, whenever there's the opportunity to use local grains, we like to do that if they're of the right quality. So we use uh, you know, that one, sixty five percent corn. 20, uh, that's grown in Colorado, I should say. It's grown down in the uh, Four Corners region. Uh, we use 20% oats that's grown over in the San Luis Valley, just an hour and a half from here. It's really fun mountain biking out there, so I get to go ride trails and pick up wheat. Um, that's awesome. The rest of the grain bill, yeah, yeah, 10% oats and 5% roasted barley, so it's a pretty neat bourbon. Um, you know, that one I sent out to you, that one's a pretty neat one in particular. It was uh, a specialty finish, so it was a a two-year-old bourbon that we put into a barrel that came from Elevation Brewery, which is a really cool brewery just down the road from us, and their owner happens to live three houses down from me. And they make a, a Belgian quad beer called Apis 4 that's uh, oh, aged in mm-hmm. red wine barrels. Oh, wow. So all kinds of complexity right there, but then we put our bourbon in that barrel for another six months. So it takes on some of those crazy, like, fig, raisin, honey notes, and... Uh, fruit notes and made a really complex whiskey so interesting that's, yeah, that, that's yeah, what that i'm sipping on right now I, I got it right in front of me I got oh it nice on. yeah and it's past <laughs> strength so it's big i mean it's 108 proof but i i just i love the finish on that it just you know it lingers on your palate with like tons of dark fruit notes for so long mm-hmm. and uh and that's why you know i keep talking about experience but that's that's what that is to me it's uh you know just just savoring that stuff and seeing what to get and what it reminds you of and, um Let's see what else in our lineup. So we have uh, we've got a hickory smoked corn whiskey that's pretty fun. That's like big smoke flavor. It's kind of our answer to some of the stuff that's done in Scotland, uh, in particular on in the uh, Isla region, it's an island that's known for super smoky whiskeys, very like deep smoked heavy whiskeys. And um, you know, with regards to those peat smoke, I mean, what what peat is on. Like, a mud bog. It's decomposed plant matter that they'll cut into bricks and yeah. dry out. And they use it for what? Firewood, uh, right? Or what do they use it for? Yes, yeah, yeah. No, you're spot on because they don't have trees. You know, they need to burn <laughs> something, so they, <laughs> they burn dry mud. And uh, it, it's kind of awesome. Yeah, but really, that's what all beers also like when they're malting barley to make beers back in the day. They were malting with peat, so beers had that distinctive kind of uh, phenolic iodine type flavor almost like a little bit of a the smell of like a band-aid and some folks 
don't like it and some folks love it. And I'm, uh, I'm kind of on the love it, but it's gotta be the right occasion, uh, category time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, but it's all about just big flavors. You know, not everyone is born loving black coffee or, or blue teas or yeah. you know, so many of these. If you don't like flavors. coffee, man, I don't know, man. I don't know about you. I love coffee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same here. But, I, but when I was like, yeah, when I was like in my late teens, early twenties, I would drink coffee with cream and sugar and, uh, I had a roommate and I asked him how he drinks black coffee. Like, dude, it's so bitter. He's like, I don't know, man. I just, I started with cream and sugar and I just kept adding more coffee as my cup got, you know, less full. And eventually I was hooked on black coffee. And I think that way with whiskey, um, I'm always on a, like this quest to get beer drinkers to cross a line and, and see that it's got so many similarities. Like, no, you can't just chug it on a hot day, but, <laughs> right. but with the flavor and the sentiment and the experience is, is there. And it's the, it's the core, it's the soul of the, the beer that they're so fond of. So yeah. Yeah. Like I guess to the point of that smoky whiskey, we, we made this hickory smoked corn whiskey. Um, it's made with a hundred, that same Colorado corn that's grown down near Cortez, Colorado. Good riding down there too, by the way. Hmm. And, um, and we hickory smoke it in house. So eight hours in a hickory smoker that we built and, uh, and then same process. And, you know, uh, kind of rambling about whiskey, but that's what I do. Um, with regards to the process, it, it really does start out a lot like beer. We start out with grain. We auger it up to a grain mill and crush it. We have a big mash tun just like breweries do. And, uh, for a single malt, it's made very much like beer. We, we mash and we separate the liquid, um, for bourbon, um, for corn whiskey. We're also making a rye. It's not out yet. It's, uh, it's about two and a half years old and getting better every day. Probably going to lose that in the fall. But uh, all those traditional whiskeys, you leave the grain in. You don't separate them out. Um, the mashing, uh, it's ultimately filling a giant tank with hot water and either using grain like malted barley, which inherently has enzymes in every kernel that can convert the starch in the grain to a sugar, which you can then ferment into alcohol. Uh, or you add liquid enzymes if you're not using malted barley and you can convert, you know, the starch in corn or rye or wheat, uh, convert that into sugar. Um, and then from there, we pump it into fermenters, just more or less like you'd see in a brewery. Um, one big difference from beer is that we open ferment and uh, welcome in some of the sections that breweries typically wouldn't want. Interesting. So, uh, you know, you want, if you taste a beer that you, every once in a while you get a beer that's off, like a brewery made a mistake, and you know it, you taste those off flavors, make it be, you know, funky, sour. Uh, it might be just foaming over the bottle for an hour. Um, and that's because, you know, a wild strain of yeast or, or some wild bacteria got into the fermentation. Well, with whiskey, that's welcome because those, those flavors, uh, or, or rather those, those, uh, the natural flora that imparts that will develop into really unique flavors, usually on the road after a few years of uh, maturation. But um, yeah, so we ferment, and then after about four days of an open ferment, we go into uh, a still, which is the uh, the vessel that you boil the, the beer uh, into ethanol and collect that into whiskey. So uh, yeah, it's a pretty neat process. It looks a lot like a brewery. 
people call us a brewery all the time, and I just got tired of correcting them. So I'm like, yeah, brewery. We drink beer, too. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We have, and once in a while, uh, we make beer. You know, sometimes we, we keep it in a little kegerator in the back, and, you know, we drink it. We pour it for our friends. It's kind of fun to have beer around. Nice. Yeah. So, and your last on your lineup is a, a gin. Oh, yeah, gin. gin. Gin's a funny one. We're actually uh, finishing up to this year. Um, you know, a lot of small distilleries because, you know, the, the notion of, you know, making all this whiskey and having lead sit in barrels for years before you can get, before you can sell it and see any kind of return on that, uh, that's pretty daunting. And distilleries go in a number of directions. Some uh, look to other distilleries and buy their whiskey and put it in their own bottle, which uh, is a very old practice. It's been done, you know, forever. That's how forever ago, actually, and I'm sure you've heard of Johnny Walker. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Walker, they, they started out as a grocery store forever ago, and uh, they were selling single malt. So all the, the whiskey from the various small distilleries around Scotland, and the quality was so variable that what they started doing was saying, you know what, we want we don't want people to buy this like shit whiskey. We need something consistent. So we're going to taste it all and blend it into something that we know is good. And uh, that was the start of blending whiskeys and sourcing whiskeys. Or I shouldn't say the start, but that was their start. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very time-start tradition. Um, and in Scotland, uh, their tradition is, I think, further honored by being very transparent about you know, letting people know who actually distilled it, like who did that part of the work and who did the work as far as they are with regards to the blending and selecting great barrels. That's awesome. Um, our country's got a tradition that uh, I'm, I don't love necessarily where, you know, it's become Everything's commonplace. Top, top to, secret or what? What's that? Everything's top secret. They don't, you know, they don't want you to know what, where it's coming from or... All this other stuff. Yeah, man. I mean, this isn't NASA. It, it's whiskey. And, <laughs> it's whiskey. You yeah. know, <laughs> like, give due credit to the people who make it. Like I mentioned earlier, there, there's the distillery in Indiana, MGPI. It stands, a stupid name. It stands for Midwest Grain Products International or something. Um, they make tremendous whiskey, and they've got their distillery in a long history. They make great bourbon, great rye, and they supply the majority of the brands that don't make it known that it came from their place. And that's good. And all, you know, like um, Bullet Rye, for example, it's a great rye. It's a great value, but it's made by another distillery. And it is what it is. I buy Bullet Rye all the time. You know, it's great for the money. But I guess, I guess, I guess I'm going on and on. Um, that's how. Uh, no, it's okay. That, that Our show is like that. Don't worry about it. You can, you can <laughs> ramble on to different directions. It's okay. We'll, we'll end up and we'll, we'll end up back in the same road. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I'm a good rambler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, you, know, it, you know, there's a lot of ways to start a distillery, and and, and our way was uh, it was it wasn't that it was it, it was not based in business, but it was based out of a passion for making whiskey and mm-hmm. making our own whiskey and making unique whiskey. Um, and a lot of distilleries can get to that point by starting out with a more quick-to-market product. So gin is typically that product. And, uh, man, you know, a lot of folks tend to not love gin. Some folks do love, love gin. And anyone who doesn't love gin, I would uh, implore to either uh, get over the bad experience they may have had in college or, or try a different gin because it's such a broad category. And it's something that we do really enjoy making. We make what we call a Dutch style gin. Um, and, and the reason for that, um, the, the very first style, uh, 
prior to Gin. It's called Dutch Geneva or Geneva. And uh, that was out of Holland. They're uh, kind of botanical-based spirit that was made off of a malt barley base. And after a year and a half, two years of making a malt barley-based whiskey, I, I came to read about this in a book about gin and was just blown away and thought to myself, we can do this. You know, we, we have everything, and there's not a lot of representation of this style. And then at that point, I started looking for examples of it. Like, you know, if you go to Amsterdam, you can find tons of them. But over here, there's a few. Uh, the biggest brand is probably uh, Bowles. Um, but that was the predecessor to what happened all throughout England with the London dry gins. They were, you know, in Holland, they were the first to make it. So, so yeah, yeah, you brought gin. We do make a gin in that style. It, it's a pretty neat, it's not the juniper heavy, you know, uh, dry gin that some people seem to have an aversion to. I happen to like that style as well, but we wanted something different. And that's kind of our hallmark is always looking at the landscape and looking at what the big guys doing, the small guys doing, and, you know, just trying to step a little less than doing something a little different and bringing value and bringing experience. And uh, I think gin is a pretty tremendous spirit. Yep. And, and as I'm speaking to you in our barrel warehouse, we've got like probably like eight barrels of gin that we filled up just because like that's another style that people don't do very often. And it's not, you know, the biggest seller, but it, we filled them up over four years ago. And I don't know what we're going to do. With I just come here and take a sip every so often. But uh, <laughs> yeah. it's fun stuff. If you guys ever come out here, I'll give you a straw. It's fun drinking out of the barrel. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do want to make it out there, but you know the the juniper stuff. Uh, uh, Starbucks had like a juniper drink, and I, I, I like that. I like that the uh, pine flavor uh, of that uh, that coffee that you know Starbucks had. So I'm, I've never had gin, so I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to try some of this gin. Uh, you you yeah, drink yeah. it straight up, I, or I, how do you? I mean, how do you drink it. gin? Like the proper way of doing it, just straight up, or you know you 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 blend it with some other stuff, or how do you do it? That's a great question, and I think it varies depending on who you ask. I'd say I sit in the relative minority because uh, there's no, I will never buy a gin and not drink it honestly straight out of the bottle. That's how. Okay. I've got this weird quirk where anytime I buy a bottle before I pour it into the glass, I always take the first sip. Maybe it's a superstition, but I take mm. a sip out of the bottle first. Okay. Uh, and then I pour it in a glass, and I, I don't want to see the full character. But um, more to your point and more to the reality of gin – um, it's much more vastly consumed in the form of a cocktail. Okay. And, uh, and, and it's got a great backbone to stand up to a lot of things, whether it's, you know, layered in complexities in like something like a Ramos gin fizz, um, or, you know, like a big gin and tonic that's garnished properly and paired, paired with a great tonic, um, you know, or, or in a, a proper martini that's pretty much almost all gin. And really you're just getting the expression of gin, uh, sometimes vermouth and having it chilled down and diluted slightly. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it really hmm. all comes down to flavor, uh, experience, where you're at, what you're looking for. Um, Shaking the stirred. Kind of, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't know, man, I'm just a big fan of uh, realizing that there's a lot of really quality stuff out there. And if I don't like something at first, but other people do, well, that probably means there's room for me to come around and understand why there's there's quality there. Like, uh, you know, like I mentioned cigars earlier. Yeah, you know, I, I I have yet to figure out cigars. I'll, I'll smoke cigar with a friend here and there and drink some whiskey. 
but yeah. but my lack of figuring it out only means to me that I just I, I haven't gotten it yet, but I know something's there. Right. <laughs> well, uh, uh, my buddy Johan, you know, he, he'll invite me over to his house. Uh, uh, the guy that likes uh, old fashions. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> I heard that podcast. <laughs> that guy was a character. That was the last thing. He was like, was he the one who said something along the lines of like that he didn't believe that people actually like whiskey; they just like to drink it, and uh, you know, yeah, like yeah. they don't like the flavors. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. I was driving down the highway heading to Denver when I listened to that. Like, I I had to correct my car and not drive off the road. And, and dude, there's no, there's no wrong. There's no like nobody. <laughs> Everybody's entitled to the way they think, and it is what it is. But like, they hear those sorts of things, I'm always like, ah, let me fix this. Like, yeah, yeah, let me right. show you like where all the because you know we get that a lot. We have um, you know, in Buena Vista, it's this cool little mountain town, and we get especially in the summer a ton of tourists out, and they'll come in our distillery, and sometimes they come in by the state because they think it's uh, just a regular bar, and uh, I don't touch very much anymore, probably for this reason I'm about to explain, but uh. If they come in and they're like, I don't like whiskey, I'm like, stop right now. You're drinking it. Like, you're drinking whiskey, you're drinking all of our whiskey, and you're going to drink gin too. <laughs> and you're going to like if you it. Don't like it you can, yeah, well, you can spit it out if you don't like it, but you got to try it. You know, like, this is what I do. You know, try this stuff. See what you think. Look for some flavors. And, you know, maybe you don't like it today, but you'll think about it. And, uh, man, I think, like, I think there's a whiskey for everyone. I think your friend Johan has found. Uh, his the old fashions that work for him, right? But I'm positive I could find it. Like, you guys were drinking on Glenmorangie, if I remember correctly. Yep. And uh, you have a good memory, man. Glenmorangie, that stuff is a tremendous, yeah, that stuff's a tremendous whiskey. But you know, I think sometimes it's good to have some context of like, what, why does it have the flavors it has? Like, what should you look for? You know, Glenmorangie is known for having really tall pot fields and delicate flavors. You know, kind of some neat honey notes and. And they have various expressions. Like he had the sample pack, which is really cool. Yeah. And they had like some fairy finishes, and you know, there's just looking for the subtlety and you know the nuance. That's that's what it's all about. And again, that's that's the experience. You know, that those are where real value is to me. Yeah. So uh, I, I gotta I gotta <laughs> find your friend Johan and sit down and have some drinks with him. When you yeah come come out here when you come out here we'll we'll uh, go go and smoke some some of his pahikis, which I guess. Uh, they're pretty yes. damn expensive cigars, man. But man, they're good because I've had some of his other good cigars that are, you know, like twenty twenty dollar cigars, and and uh, the Bahikis are like hundred and hundred and twenty, hundred and forty dollar cigars. You know, depending on the fifty six or fifty four or whatever. And uh, man, you know, you can you can you can taste the the quality. You know, like man, this is a good cigar. I want I want to just smoke the whole thing until it's a little nub. You know, what I mean, get get as much out of it as possible. Yeah, man. I mean. Your price is a funny thing too, though. Sometimes, like that happens, be it in cigars or or wine or whiskey. You know, when something gets expensive, you have to look at it and think like, I think it's a inherent thing where you're like, well, is it worth it? Right. And yeah, there's no way around that. But at the same time, if you can separate that and just say, <laughs> I'm going to trust that the quality is there, and I'm going to get the most out of this experience that I can. Like, I think that's very fun. And sometimes you get let down. You know, every once in a while, I have like, you know, a hundred dollar bottle of whiskey, and be like, you know, I'd be happy with this if it was thirty bucks. Mm-hmm. And a hundred bucks, I don't know. But, but still, you get without those experiences, you know, what's life? Right. So let me ask you, seventeen ninety two. Have you had it? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Hundred bucks. Yeah. 
What, um, what do you think? It, it's pretty. It's pretty reasonable. It's like twenty, thirty bucks at high time wine cellars. I don't know what it's you know what it costs out in Colorado, but you know here it's pretty reasonable. Um, yeah, it's funny. The last time I bought it, I was actually kind of out your way. I think I was in Ocean Beach, and uh, I was. Uh, I just needed a bottle. Yeah, I think it was like just over twenty some dollars. Right. Um. Yeah, yeah. That it, it, it's a great whiskey, and the thing is, like, I, I think there's some whiskeys that are just undeniable, and a big part of that is the value. At twenty some dollars, you cannot go wrong. And be it, uh, you know, be it that whiskey from uh, I think I think Barton's makes that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, Barton's make that, or um, you know, like Old Granddad uh, bottled in bonds for like twenty five bucks, tremendous value. I mentioned Bullet earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, an MCP Rye that's really good. The, you know, there's a lot of really, really good whiskeys. Well, that are Weller, under I think bucks. I think Weller Weller's like about thirty bucks, something somewhere in that range, depending on which one you get. Yeah, if you can find it now, like that's the thing with whiskey. You know, it's. It's been such American whiskey has been such a good value for a really long time, and people are getting wise to it. And uh, you know the price on Weller is still great, but uh, I don't know about out your way, but out here it's gotten really hard to find. I, I have a, and, I have uh, a. Uh, sorry, I didn't cut you off, but I have a Weller's that's a high time select bottle that I haven't opened. I, I think okay. I, I bought it like last year, and and uh, uh, when I was in there, you know, um, I'm sure you heard it, heard me talk about it, but. Every time I go to high time, I I go and, and bug Dan, you know what I mean, and I go, hey Dan, what what you know, what do you got new today, or what do you recommend, you know, and um, you know that day I was in luck, you know, there was a, a Weller uh, high time wine special, and uh, he took me to the back, and you know they had an open bottle, and we sampled a little bit of it. I'm like, dude, yeah, I want this. Uh, I think it was like thirty something bucks, but he goes, this this is something where if you tasted it without looking at the bottle, like a blind test. You would think it is like a Pappy Van Winkle or whatever, something like that, which is like three hundred dollar bottle. So Absolutely. you know, well, I, ha- I have not opened it. It's still there. It's got dust all over it, but you know, uh, I'll enjoy it one of these days. Maybe when you come out, we'll crack it open. Yeah, man, and and, and like you know, what he might have been alluding to with regards to the Pappy Van Winkle, and you might know as much, but that is that is the whiskey that ultimately becomes Pappy Van Winkle, although it's just stored in a different barrel warehouse for a longer, you know, maturation period. Right. And, uh, yeah, you know, exactly that. If you do, I think, you know, folks get very hung up in a sense on like these premium, ultra premium whiskeys and, you know, the stature they hold. And it's not that they're not good whiskeys. It's just, in my opinion, if you taste them side by side with a much less expensive whiskey, man, I don't know the, the difference isn't that vast. And I think there'll be a lot of confusion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's a good thing. That's yeah. a good thing. And it's like, it's fun to be real about it. It's fun to discover things. And you know, 1792 is a, a great discovery. And that's, that's some solid stuff. Yeah, that's what's one of my favorites. So kind of going back to your D-Hammer, uh, the American Single Malt Whiskey, that thing's won awards. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it has. Um, you know, it's one we're really proud of. And, and we know we got something with it. And, um, you know, we're always trying to make everything we do better. Um, but with regards to that one, you know, to me, better is just, uh, you know, that it's by far the majority of our, uh, annual production in terms of how many mashes we do that we dedicate towards one with whiskey or another. And for me now it's become really fun because the barrels are old enough and, you know, there's a lot of organic components that lend variation. So whether it's the grain itself year to year, 
Um, you know, I, I spoke to the fact that we use open fermenters. So mm-hmm. the time of year that we, we produce the whiskey, the natural flora that's in the air, the temperature of the ferment, um, you know, who was watching the still that day? Was it me or was it Nick who, uh, he happens to be on the Grand Canyon right now. So I'm, I'm holding down the fort and distilling everything. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's variation there and there's variation in every barrel that we fill. You know, it's, it's wood. And where was it cut from the tree and how long would it stay secured before they poopered it into a barrel? And uh, so I guess what I'm getting at is it's really fun now that we've had enough sitting around long enough that when it's time to harvest, you know, eight or 15 barrels, um, we pick and look for a certain profile. And that's that's not necessarily a profile that sticks to consistent flavor compared to the previous batch. Because, uh, you know, that's something that I guess from a business point of view and a scale point of view makes sense, but that's boring to me. You know, we, we made that flavor once before. It's always going to taste similar, but mm-hmm. you know, this last batch, I pulled a barrel that just had like, it tasted like, you know, sucking on like a, a, a butterscotch candy on the finish. Ooh, and, okay. and some, you know, just have tremendous fruit flavors. And yeah. So uh, the single malt's really fun like that. And we'll, we'll definitely enter it in a competition here and there. Um, we're a little weird about, Real weird about competitions because uh, some of them, somebody a while back mentioned they were like distilling. You should have gotten into the competition industry because that's where the money's at. You know, because it's like anywhere from up to $500 a bottle to enter a competition. Jeez. And uh, it's pretty rare that you don't get a medal. It's sort of like, you know, Little League soccer a little bit. Oh, man. So it's been watered down. Yeah, yeah. But that being said, and, and I don't mean to like, <laughs> um, you know, I don't mean to shit on anyone else because I've got a lot of friends in distilling who enter a ton of competitions and, you know, rightly so are proud of like gold medals or double golds or best in class. Um, we're kind of particular on the competitions we enter, and that doesn't mean that they're the best or, or we're the best because we might get a medal in them. Um, but I like to enter competitions that I know that the judges know what they're doing. Uh, they're not tasting uh, 20 whiskeys in one sitting. And they'll provide tasting notes, like following the competition. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we definitely uh, we enter the ones that we think are worthwhile, and we don't always win, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, think about if you were tasting beers, and you know, how many IPAs can you taste before you're like, wow, I taste hops. Right, <laughs> right. You start to lose the sense and the subtlety of it. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so the straight bourbon whiskey that you sent me over was uh, bottled exclusively for total wine and more yeah yeah so uh that's, that, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty big deal right yeah we we are we're really proud to have worked with them on that and they're definitely like kind of a juggernaut in the liquor stores and um you know there's a lot of independent liquor stores that we, we're always trying to support but you know with regards to those guys and particularly with colorado we've got some pretty funky liquor laws as far as liquor stores go and they changed recently so um, the way it has always been uh, since I you know, moved out here in 1999 was uh, if someone opened a liquor store, they get one liquor store and that's it. There were no chain liquor stores. So, you know, like Costco had their one big liquor store and Whole Foods had one liquor store and any small liquor store was one. And that led to some like shopping mall sized liquor stores. Like, oh, I don't know if there's bigger liquor stores anywhere. They're fucking enormous. Yeah. And, uh, but the upside of that for us was that we also, as a result of that, got to really forge great relationships with these liquor stores because 
we didn't have to worry about a buyer for like 20 chain liquor stores. Um, now, with regards to Total Wine, they just opened up their first shop in Colorado, I don't know, I want to say about six or eight months ago. And, um, you know, it, they're they're doing so because our laws have changed and they'll ultimately be able to open more. But we did tasting with them and we poured, I want to say about six different barrel samples of various bourbons. We did uh, two just pure cast samples of standard bourbon. They were really nice. Uh, we did the one that they ended up going with, and we did a port cask finished bourbon, and we did a uh, cider cask finished bourbon. And it was just a pleasure to pour for them. They all, they knew their stuff, um, you know, just picked up on all the tasting notes of each without me even having to suggest anything. And ultimately, they taste that, and they're like, this is the one. And uh, and it's a cool story because, you know, we, we did it in collaboration with our friends at Elevation Brewery, who just, like, have a they're probably in California they're in a bunch of states but they have a tremendous reputation here in Colorado they make amazing beer um, you know my my kid and, and Elevation Brewery's owner's kid uh, are constantly brawling out in the street you know they're uh, <laughs> we just have great relations with those guys so uh, yeah that was a fun one I was I was really proud to be able to, to work with them on that so yeah, that's only available in the one total wine store in Colorado. Oh man, so I'm I'm, uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty damn lucky to have this bottle out here in the West Coast. I, I'm probably the only guy, right, out here in, in Cali. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, you're the only guy. I'm, yeah. I feel special. That's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's I'm about right. to put this yeah. away yeah. and not share with anybody anymore. Then, because <laughs> you know, every, yeah, every time yeah. we do a podcast or something, we come in and I bring the bottle and you know whatever guests we have in here, and you know most 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 of the time everybody really enjoys it. So. Uh, but now I'm about to be a little That's selfish cool, about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, and, you know, I think the funny thing, you know, I, I can respect that people, you know, in this country in particular, a lot of people, uh, they might only drink Kentucky bourbon because they're accustomed to that flavor profile. And that's cool, you know. Some people, you know, uh, only like, like I'm from Philadelphia, and some people proclaim that the cheesesteaks are only good at one place and not another. So, right. Yeah, you know, people like their things, and that's okay. You know, it was a trip. Uh, kind of going back to mountain biking, uh, there was one one guy that uh, um, designed this this mountain bike. Um, uh, he de- he designed the bike for Marin and for Polygon, and it's almost it's the same exact design. I don't know if you remember. It. Uh, I think it's called Nail It or something, some kind of like shock design, and it's kind of a funky like rear rear chainstay. And but it's like that's the only you know company that it's like they're Two different bike brands, but the bikes look identical. Interesting. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I've seen stuff from Polygon, but I guess I, I'll have to look closely at that. Yeah, which is, I was like, wait a minute. Like, one one brand, I think uh, Polygon brought theirs out, and then, like, right after that, Marin brought their bike out. I'm like, wait a minute. They look exactly the same. What's going on here? Interesting. But, yeah. Hey, it, uh, yeah. with regards to bikes, I think, uh, you know, I don't, I don't catch all your shows, but, like, I do a lot of driving, and I heard when you... If I recall right, I think did you bring up uh, the new Gorilla Gravity frames recently? Are we? Th- I think you guys didn't get in. Yeah, I don't we, know if you talked about it much. We we touched on it, but we never we didn't really get into it, like into the nitty gritty on it. Yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, you know, I ride one of their their previous generation, you know, aluminum based frames, which I'm super stoked on. But and it's for a lot of reasons. But I, I when it when I decided I was like ready for a new bike and I was looking around. Um, our local bike shop happened to just bring them in and 
you know, I looked at it and I was like, I don't know, man. I don't know if that's the best value, like of the ones I'm considering. And they kind of gave me the rundown on them. And I started doing some research. And I was like, shit, I have to buy this bike. Like these guys are like an independent company in the U.S., in Colorado, no less, making bikes here and doing it their way. And they're all rippers. And they like, it just had such a cool culture around it. And my thought was like, I can't, I can't be here making craft whiskey and telling people, buy a bottle of my whiskey for 60 bucks a bottle. Don't buy that 1792 every time for like right. 22 bucks a bottle right. and not buy their bike. And immediately I was like, I'm done. I'm taking it. Wait, and, so, uh, so you have the new Gorilla Gravity Carbon Enduro bike? No, I don't have the carbon. That that uh, I, I got mine like uh, the Thanksgiving before this past one. So it was before that carbon came out. But with regards to that carbon bike, I mean, you know, I, I heard a little bit of, like, rumblings that they had something really cool going on, like, since last summer. But uh, how badass is that, that those guys, like, you know, I haven't ridden one yet. I've only seen photos, but, you know, they're bringing to market a U.S.-made carbon bike that's potentially, or, or sounds like it, but just substantially stronger. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm really, like, inspired and impressed and stoked on it. It's fun. I don't know if I want to. I don't want. I don't want to buy a few bikes yet. I got my eyes on them. That's cool. Yeah, they they have the uh, the smash, which is a twenty nine or one forty five millimeter travel bike, and then they have yep. their uh, Mega Trail, which is a twenty seven five one fifty five one sixty five millimeter travel bike. And let's yep. see, and then what do they have here? Which in, oh, and then they have the the Trail Pistol, which is the twenty nine or one twenty. So it's more of a trail bike, something I would probably yep. want to ride. And uh, man, they have a lot of they have a lot of damn bikes, dude. Shred dog. Yeah, they do. Uh, what what bike do you have? I, I have the shred dog, which is uh, like the short stroke version of the Mega Trail. Okay. And uh, you know, twenty seven five. And I'm pretty short, dude. I'm only like five five, so that you know that wheel size works pretty well for me. The geometry sits nice on me. Yeah, it's and, a uh, one thirty one forty travel. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's right. I'm pretty terrible at numbers. I always listen to like. I love listening to bike podcasts, but half the information is like in one ear, out the other. Because I'm like, shit, I can I can never remember that. But uh, yeah, you have yeah, too man, much whiskey I, I information like in your in your brain. That's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I can only yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, these these but, ones are pretty uh, badass, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and I actually um, this has been a tough winter for riding. We uh. You know, last year I rode year round, uh, made it out your way for a little bit, rode in Arizona some. But out here we've just had snow pretty much the whole winter. So short of a few fat bike rides, uh, I my last ride was right around Thanksgiving. So damn, you know, I, I've been, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of boring. But um, yeah, I'm just gonna hit it hard this this summer. You know, I'm looking forward to the road trip. Uh, I bought a little truck camper. Um, so when I head out your way, I'm looking forward to doing a lot of riding selling some whiskey, looking for some independent liquor stores and some bars to to get your hammer into and, uh, you know, to see what I can do and have some fun and enjoy the trip. So, and then definitely get down to Ensenada. I can't wait for that. That'd be awesome. Drink some, you know, uh, there's a, uh, um, a little place called uh, uh, Mezcaleria La Penca, which is mezcal, you know, it's like some craft mezcal little place. Uh, I haven't been there yet, but um, I've heard a lot of good things about it, so I'm going to have to try that out. Uh, one of these days, go down there and drink some mezcal. How far is that from uh, the the Sports Power Ranch area? Or oh. How long is the drive? No, I mean the that that mezcaleria place is actually in downtown area, 
And that's where like, oh, all, I see. All, yeah, that's where the Who songs is at, which is like the Baja's oldest bar from like, it's like established like an 18 something or another. You know, they have a Who songs like in Vegas, but the original one is in Ensenada, which is really tiny hole in the wall place. And uh, it's right next to uh, Papa's and Beer, which is like a huge, mega, massive uh, bar. You know, it's got a uh, like a disco bar upstairs, the cantina downstairs. I mean, it's huge. And you look at little uh, Coos songs, I'm like, what is this little place? But that place is always packed every time we go there, man. It's like you have to like, excuse me, squeeze through people, you know what I mean? Because it just, it just, it's insane how packed that place is. It's got the nostalgia, like, oh, man, I, I've been to Who Songs, you know, the original one, you know, something like that. Yeah, that sounds cool, man. I, I just, you know, I'm not, like, you know, I'm not definitely not the one who's out the, the latest. And uh, when it's too crowded, you know, I, I usually find my way out pretty quick. But I love checking out those cool spots, those unique places. So. Yeah. Yeah, so, that'd be neat to see for sure. <laughs> so um, production of your whiskey, um do you have like a, a certain amount of, of barrels or uh, bottles that you want to produce a year? How does that work? Like, how do you uh, gauge yeah. or budget yourself? So like, we're going to, you know, we have to forecast and sell X amount of, of bottles or how does that work in the business side of it? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And um, I guess in a sense, there's an easy answer, but um, it, the, the short answer is our, our uh, I guess, like vernacular around it, we look at it as like how many batches do we make a year? Mm-hmm. And and within the industry, uh, or even on certain labels, you'll see whiskey or sort of like batch whiskey or small batch whiskey. Um, and it means a lot of things. But to us, us a batch means uh, we we do a mash and we mash roughly thirteen hundred pounds of grain, and that mash makes its way downstream through our production over the course of like five or six days. Um, you know, through the fermenters, through the first 650-gallon pot still, ultimately into the final 150-gallon pot still to make the uh, finished distillate and then into the barrel. And that 1,300 pounds of grain, typically roughly 50 gallons of whiskey, which fills one barrel. So um, I guess to better answer your question, we look at – uh, how much time we got, like how much work we want to do. And <laughs> we, last year we did 200 batches. So that means, you know, we started 200 mashes over the course of the year. And that's how, you know, busy-ish we could do more. Um, and for every barrel of whiskey, there's roughly 250 bottles of whiskey that come out of that once you wow. proof it down. Yeah, so uh, I, like I mentioned, I think that I'm kind of terrible at numbers and terrible at math. Um, maybe we can go back and figure out how many bottles we made in a year based on 200 <laughs> batches. Right. Um, yeah, but something we're looking at uh, actively, it's kind of a big project, uh, mainly on uh, my wife Amy's plate, who, you know, uh, she doesn't get enough credit. It's kind of funny. She's the one who, like, you know, sits in her office and uh, she runs the company. I- I'm the one who gets to make the whiskey and I go to all the events and get to hang out in the bars and buy <laughs> and buy drinks for people. But, uh, she runs the company. She's the brains behind like the business side of things. And a big project on her plate right now is trying to figure out what the next step is because uh, we have, you know, a fairly small building right along a historic main street where everybody walks up and down the street and, you know, hangs out and we have a food truck in the summer, eat a burger and drink an old fashioned. Mm -hmm. But uh, our equipment is crammed in 
like a you know sardines in a can <laughs> and it's just gotten to the point where it's it's kind of hard to work like cleaning is tough because you know being like five foot five i'm i built the distillery to the point where you know i can just skim the button of my hat under like an i-beam and then we hired people who are like five inches taller than me and they like they crack their heads or can't fit behind things to clean things. And, uh, they they got to wear a, a, a hard hat when they're walking around in there, huh? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but they've just gotten like muscle memory. They know how to duck now. Right. How to, yeah, we have to be careful about how tall we hire. But um, <laughs> I guess to the point, though, my wife Amy is working on our next project, which is to build another facility. Uh, you know, we bought an acre of land a mile from our current facility and we're working to build a bigger building and bring our, you know, the majority of our current equipment and some new equipment. Um, and even if we don't increase our production volume, it should mean uh, less work, more whiskey, or the same work, more whiskey. Um, we're trying to figure it all out. But we, we always, I don't know, I, I like to look at business as uh, solving problems, always get, you know, getting to the goal, but also leaving as many options open as possible. And, uh, you know, we have this acre of land that's, you know, it's just a bunch of tumbleweeds right now, but we want to put a building on there. And we've been thinking we're going to have a lot of room on that land and it's very close to town. Maybe we'll get, you know, an annual camping permit and just put the word out to like, you know, mountain bikers who want to roll up in their Springer vans and be like, you know, free camping here. Just stop by and buy a drink. You know, if you're in town, that's, um, Count me in, yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> sounds awesome. So, so if you guys would, uh, you know, build, you know, a new facility on their acre, you guys would keep the current building as well, you know, in, in downtown area. Yeah, yeah, we definitely will. I mean, it's a really fun vibe there. It's a cool little like rustic experience where you know you get to drink the whiskey that you know that we make and whatever we're doing, you get to smell the whole production process. Um, we really don't want to have to remove that. So we're kind of trying to decide. I mean, we'll definitely keep some production there. Um, you know, we're, we're two hours from Denver for about, you know, just shot like maybe an hour, 45 minutes from Colorado Springs. So the real populated areas aren't that far away. And on the weekends, you know, everyone wants to go to the mountains and the popular areas like, you know, Winter Park or Vail or, wherever rocky mountain national park everyone's going there and they're really really crazy and uh i, I don't know why it's taking people so long to realize that you know there instead of taking i-70 you could take highway 285 there's no traffic you, know, you get to the mountains faster and uh it's just a it's kind of a really cool authentic experience in our town and and you know we, we've been involved in that since we opened our tasting room for the distillery in uh, early 2012. So you know to the point of moving things, you know we're just and to the options, we're we're, we're going to start that initially just because we're running out of room for barrels, mm-hmm. and uh, ultimately we'll start to move equipment over there. That's awesome. But, yeah, yeah, we'll always try to make some kind of some kind of crazy booze over in our original location. Awesome. Well, yeah. Lenny, Rum, man, like that. I, I'm stoked to finally, you know, sit down and chat with you, even though we're over the phone. I look forward to you coming down here to uh, to SoCal and, and to Ensenada. Um, where can people um, find more information on Deerhammer? Yeah, well, uh, you know, we have a website, but websites are boring. I, I, I like the social media stuff, so 
I'm always shooting photos and throwing those up on uh, Instagram. Uh, we'll do stuff on Facebook, but yeah, yeah, you know, just snoop around and you know, for sure you can read through our website. And if you're in Colorado, I would, I would very much encourage you to come visit us. Uh, if not just to see our distillery, come to Vina Vista, come mountain bike here. We've got amazing trails, great rivers, hot springs, a good music scene, and just a cool place to check out. So, uh, yeah, yeah, come see us, come drink whiskey, and uh, you know, hit me up. I'll drink whiskey with you. <laughs> Tell you why you should like, <laughs> like right. our whiskey, like someone else's whiskey. Awesome, man. Yeah. I'm stoked there, uh, and uh, you know, this is this is only the first part of of of, a, of this podcast. You know, we're gonna the next time we we you know uh, we have you on, it's gonna be face to face, whether if, if it's in the studio or we do it in Baja. But we gotta keep talking story, drink some whiskey, and uh, and and uh, you know, continue this. Yeah, awesome yeah, conversation. we gotta bring some uh, some other friends in the industry along too. Yeah, yeah, heck yeah. Awesome. Well, cool, man, dude. well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate you, man, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, man. Cheers. Take care. Right, bye, bye. Wow. Awesome podcast, guys. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it uh, as much as I did. Um, we look forward to having Lenny in this, like I said, back in this, you know, in the studio, right? Uh, or we do a podcast down in Baja or something, but, you know, uh, you guys can check out more information on DeerHammer.com or on the social media, which is DeerHammer, I assume. Uh, yeah, probably DeerHammer. And uh, thanks for listening to another episode of Beyond the Bike. My name is Big Lou. And uh, we are out of here. Peace.